Hello, you lovely lot. You are listening to the Psychom Toolkit. This is the podcast that gives you all the tools you need to talk about science with confidence and bring science stories to life. I am Soph, but some of you may know me as Soph Talk Science. I'm your host, and I am so happy that you have decided to join me in my little audio cubbyhole of the internet. As this is only episode three of the pod, I'm still trying to experiment with fun and different ways to start these episodes off. I really don't want to feel like a teacher stood at the front of the metaphorical room telling you just to get on with the work. Um, I kind of want it to be more (laughs) like Spider-Man. And by that, I mean, I want to be your friendly neighbourhood scientist. Yeah, I know that's a bit of a tenuous link. Apologies for that. Anyway, to spice at the start of the episodes, I thought maybe I could share a random fact about me or a stupid little story, a joke, or maybe even a song. Okay, maybe not a song. Um, Just something to hopefully put a bit of a smile on your face or make you awkwardly laugh out loud on the train or in the office or wherever you are listening to this episode. It's going to be an experiment, but let's see how it goes. And I'm going to kick this one off with a big one. It's probably my biggest claim to fame. And if you follow me on Instagram, you have probably heard it before, but I'm going to share it here again anyway. So here we go. I once cooked for Professor Stephen Hawking. Yes, that is my claim to fame and the story I'm going to share with you the first time I do this. So when I used to work in my local pub as a chef or a waitress or a barmaid, I I did all of the jobs. (laughs) He happened to be in the area on holiday and came in for some food. I remember that he ordered the duck that came with an orange and Cointreau sauce and he had a side of garlic potatoes as well. Yeah I I feel like there should be more to this story but that's all there is so my storytelling is going to improve as well but yeah that's my claim to fame that's it. Maybe this was a bad idea of how to start the podcast. Anyway let's get back to business. This episode is the final one in a mini-series called The Psychom Foundations. These are the big picture questions that you need to have nailed down before you even start doing science communication. In episode one, we covered the what and the why. In episode two, then, we talked all about who your science communication was for. And today we are going to wrap that up and tie it into a nice little bow and cover the when the where and the how. The when and the where are going to be really simple to cover, so I'll do that for you right now. Science communication can happen anytime, any place, anywhere. There are no limits. It could be a video that you can watch on YouTube at 4am if you wanted to. It could be an interview on a breakfast radio show. It could be a chat with a couple you just met in the pub or a late night nerdy comedy evening and everything in between. What will help you decide on your when and your where though is knowing your audience and your why for your science communication project. So make sure to listen to the other episodes in this series to help you with that. Right, so now all we have left to cover is the how. 
in this episode, I want to outline as many of the ways you can do science communication as possible, again, without it being hours long. It's kind of overwhelming how many options there are. There will be so many more than the ones I managed to mention in this episode, and there will always be ways that no one has even thought about yet. But hopefully it will give you an idea for the overall science communication or public engagement landscape. Once you know what the options are, though, how do you know which flavour of science communication is best for you? So in this episode, I'm also going to share some tips on what to consider when deciding the best way to tell your science story and then talk you through today's resource in the DIY section of the podcast. So let's get to some landscaping and explore what exactly science communication can look like. I feel I have set myself up with a bit of an impossible task because there are endless ways that you can do science communication. I'm sure there are going to be so many that I will forget about, as I've mentioned, but the point is to give you a whistle-stop tour of what opportunities there are or could be out there for you. I've tried to group them together into four super broad categories, They probably don't all fit neatly into these categories, but we are going to go with it anyway, just so I can try and give this a little bit more structure. This is going to be a bit of a whirlwind, so I hope you're ready. Let's go. So the first category is media, and I want to start with social media. This could be everything from Instagram and Twitter to LinkedIn and Pinterest and even Snapchat and TikTok. All have different audiences and all have different features that can be used for different goals. Just with Instagram, for example, there are reels where you can deliver short, sharp facts. There are lives and IGTVs where you can have more in-depth conversations and interviews with researchers. Or there are even carousel posts that go on your standard feed where you can go deeper into a topic and add layers and layers. Moving on from that, we move into videos. That could be anything from YouTube videos to David Attenborough documentaries and films to a video abstract to go alongside your next research publication. These can either be of people, of places or animals, to camera or with animations and cartoons as well. And of course, that can be for adult or children audiences. Sticking along the broadcast lines, then, there are also SciComm opportunities on radio and then other audio projects like podcasts. I also wanted to point out that with video and audio projects, you don't have to be the one in front of the camera or talking on the microphone if you don't want to be. You could be behind the camera or behind the microphone as the cameraman or the script writer or the audio editor and so on and so on. The final subcategory then I wanted to talk about in this media category, although I'm not 100% convinced that it fits in completely, but anyway, it is all things to do with writing. This could be science journalism, writing about science news and press releases or it could be feature articles about broader topics, or more personal and more niche blog posts and opinion pieces. It could be the script writing, as I've mentioned, 
or even full-blown popular science books or science books for kids. And then there are some that always get overlooked and that is research publications and grant proposals and all the types of writing that go into an academic career too. They're all forms of science communication. So the next big category of possible ways you can do science communication is events. The obvious first thing to mention is science festivals. This could be anything from major national or international events like Pint of Science or the Cheltenham Science Festival here in the UK to more local ones to school and family days that an individual organisation could hold and even online festivals. We've seen a lot of them over the past year. There could be a range of different events and activities at these festivals from debates and panel discussions to demos to talks and so many more. And talking of talks, these could be public lectures, it could be careers talks at schools, it could be academic conference talks. These could be for other scientists, for families, for different community groups and so on. I've also seen some fab events where they have paired public science talks with venues that serve food and things like ice cream and bringing people together that way. You could create a science comedy night, incorporate cosplay into your event, or I have even been to a few events now that are about science cabaret and drag, which have been incredible you could create a demonstration about your research or present one of the classics or you could use augmented reality or create a virtual reality experience to bring your science story to life. Moving on to the third category which is arts, something that marries with science communication so well in my opinion. So this could involve an exhibition or installation of any kind that involves science art or sci art. That could contain photographs, sculptures, illustrations, and so many more. Maybe you could even use those illustrations within a comic book, or even as a visual summary or representation of your research. Hey, it might even be the visual that gets you the cover of the research journal you have submitted your paper to. You could turn your illustrations into stickers or pin badges, or on mugs and t-shirts and much more and create a side business from it as well. It could be an infographic that summarises a topic in a simple and visually engaging way or any other kind of data visualisation that you want to do. And of course, don't forget about your science posters as they're a type of science communication too. Maybe you have a love of crafting and could find a way to incorporate that into your SciComm project. I've seen projects using crochet, using origami and even knitting. You could use your music skills and create a song, a rap or even a sea shanty about your topic. You could even develop a play about a scientist or a scientific discovery or combine them together and create some musical theatre. There are whole competitions where you can convert your research into a dance performance. You could create science poetry or even use makeup or fashion to tell a science story. The fourth and final category that I've imaginatively called other, <laughs> this includes anything to do with science policy, including writing documents that could be presented to the government, or even in person if you are called to give evidence on a topic. 
science communication could also be a trip to a museum and all the activities and information that's on display there. It is also the presenters within the museum and the skills they have to answer the public's questions or any visitor experience that's involved. You might want to create a game about your science. This could be a board game, a video game, or any other type of online game you can imagine. And recently, I've also seen a rise of science-themed escape rooms as well, both in person and online. And then the final way I wanted to share was baking or cooking. Yes, you can share science stories using cake. We are going to learn more about all of these and more as the podcast continues. So let me know what topics you would be interested in hearing more about so we can cover them sooner rather than later. There will be countless other ways that you can do this, but hopefully that will give you a flavour of what the options for science communication are. Really, I think that the only limit is probably your imagination. Of course, they could be mix and matched and combined together to create bigger, more beautiful events. The key, though, is knowing if the way you choose to share your science story blends well with your why, your audience and the goals of your science communication project. Now, if you haven't been asked to get involved with a particular science communication project or initiative, but you are keen to give it a try, where on earth do you start? With all of these possibilities at your fingertips, how do you work out which one is right for you? Well, I have four key questions that you should ask yourself. The first one is, what is going to reach your audience? Once you really understand your audience, and if you're not sure, episode two in this series will give you all you need to know on how to get inside the heads of your target audience. So go check that one out after this episode. But once you know more about your audience's interests and backgrounds and motivations, you can start to match the method. This is going to help your audience to become more engaged with your topic and find it easier to relate to what you are talking about. The next question is, what is going to help you reach your SciComm goals? Again, make sure to listen to episode one if you want to know more about finding your why for your science communication. But what is the purpose of your project? What is the goal you have in mind? What are you trying to achieve? Then ask yourself if your preferred way to communicate your research is going to help you achieve that. For example, if you just wanted the latest science news to reach as many people as possible, then a broadcast option like radio, journalism or TV is probably your best bet. If you want to discuss more intimate or maybe controversial topics, then a smaller debate or panel session or event might be more suitable. Also consider how complex the story is that you are trying to tell. A demo for a super complex signaling system in the cell might not be the easiest way for your audience to understand. For that, you might need some longer form content like a blog or a talk where you can slowly build up the layers and the details so your audience can follow along. Make sure that the way you're going to be engaging your audience feels cohesive with what you are trying to do. The third question to ask yourself is, what skills and experience do you have? Ask yourself whether you have the skills and resources to do this. 
if you're not a makeup mogul, then maybe that isn't the best option for you alone. But it would be a fantastic opportunity to find a collaborator and work together on something amazing, perhaps. If you are just starting out, maybe you want to build up your confidence with something more in your comfort zone before you then build up to your big psychom dream. You also have to consider how much prep time and delivery time each of these things might need and whether you have the capacity to do that. Also think about whether you would prefer to work on something that culminates in like a big final deadline, like a festival or an art installation, or whether you want something that you can fit around your schedule and is more evergreen, like a YouTube channel or a blog where you can control the frequency and timings of things. Then the final question to ask yourself is, what skills and experience do you want to gain? So having said all of that in the previous question, I also think it is really important to consider what skills you want to gain. If you want to learn more about audio editing, then maybe take the leap and start a podcast. Or you might know nothing about knitting, but the local community group you want to work with does. They can then bring that knowledge and teach you as you bring the science knowledge and teach them. I'm also a huge advocate for collaborations. So if you want to learn a new skill, maybe work with others on their projects first to build up your skills. While it is important that your audience gets something from your science communication, it is also supposed to be fun for you. And I want everyone to be enthusiastic about whatever flavour of science communication is for them. So feel free to try something new and challenge yourself as well. After all, we are unlikely to just work on a single SciComm project in our entire lives and careers. So maybe one can be more in your comfort zone and one can be more of a challenge for you to develop your skills. So I did tell you it would be a bit of a whistle-stop tour. So let's just do a very quick recap of what I've shared so far starting with the SciComm landscape. There are endless possibilities for science communication, but just to give you a flavour to get started with, I have categorised them into four broad categories. They were media, which included things like radio, social media, videos and writing. There was events, which is anything from science festivals to new initiatives like drag shows and everything else in between. The third category was the arts. This could be makeup, it could be fashion, it could be sculptures, illustrations and more. And then there is the other. This is anything from games to science policy to baking. And of course, throughout this, we can't forget all of the academic type science communications. That's your research papers, your grant proposals, your academic conference talks and anything else that falls into that remit. We then touched on four questions that you can ask yourself to work out which flavour in all of those options is the best for you. And those questions were, what is going to reach your audience? What is going to help you reach your SciComm goals? What skills and experience do you already have and what skills and experience do you want to gain? Now, hopefully all of that 
has given you lots of inspiration for how to get started in science communication. We have reached the DIY section of the episode today. This is the part of the podcast where I share with you an exercise or resource that will help you to add yet another tool to your SciComm toolkit. Today, I have a simple worksheet that will help you to work out what the best form of science communication is for your project. There is a section for your goal and the purpose of your project. There is a second section for your audience and their interests and motivations. Finally, there is a third section for you and what you want to get out of this as an individual. When you are planning your event or project and doing your background research, fill this in as you go along. Note down what are the key things in each of these sections that are going to help you to work out the best way to tell your science story. Hopefully then from filling that in, I'm sure some overlap will start to appear and that will help you to visualise what the best flavour of SciComm is for you. You can download that worksheet from my website right now at sofetalkscience.com forward slash toolkit and just click on the resource link under episode three. You can also get the DIY kits for all the other episodes as well as transcripts and show notes. As always, if you have any questions about what you have heard in today's episode or throughout the rest of the SciComm Foundations mini-series, then please do get in touch on social media or email me or comment on my website or blog. There are many ways that you can get in touch. I've also been trying to come up with a flow chart, you know, like the ones you can find in sort of teenage magazines that tell you when you're going to meet your soulmate based on a load of random criteria and questions. But this flowchart will hopefully help you to work out which options might be best suited to your project. I'm not fully happy with how it is currently, but as soon as that is finished, I will share it on social media and add it to the show notes too. And with that, you have completed your SciComm foundations. You now have the tools to construct your framework from which you can build and create your science communication, whatever that looks like. So yeah, that is all from me for this episode and in fact, this mini series and indeed launch week. I hope you have been enjoying the episode so far, but from now on, I will see you every Wednesday until the end of the season. Come and join me on Instagram. I'm at sof.talks.science or you can follow the pod to stay up to date on the latest announcements and such at SciComm Toolkit. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, your family or your lab mates. It all helps me to get this podcast into the ears of more people and hopefully grow our community of confident science communicators even further. As always, I would be hugely grateful if you wanted to rate, review or subscribe to the podcast and any feedback or wishes for what you want to see in the future. Let me know as I want this to be a super useful resource for you. And that is all from me. Have a fab time until I see you again here on the SciComm Toolkit podcast. See ya.